Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Are you there? Come out from under your blanket. It'll be okay. Uh, Every angle and an update of COVID-19, what it is doing to Canada and how we are all coping. And we'll get through it. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, uh, who's been so gracious with his time with us uh, over the uh, extent of this crisis and offering his expertise and such. Faculty member in Human and Social Sciences, a health policy advisor at Wilfrid Laurier University, and is with us now. Uh, Ahmad, thank you so much again for the time. Much appreciated. Of course, happy to speak to you again. And uh, I hope you and your family doing well and, and all that sort of thing as we head into another weekend. Let's start with some, you know, maybe some of that news before we get to all of these press conferences and stuff. Uh, we are coming to a weekend. Any advice for uh, Ontarians? Any advice for those who are, who, who you know, using this as an opportunity to maybe rest and step back from all of this for a minute? But obviously we have to keep in mind self-isolation and self-distancing. Uh, that's a great question. I think the one big advice I give everybody today is uh, take a deep breath. I woke up this morning thinking about how stressful this must be on everybody involved. And it's, I love what you said earlier in your show that knowledge is power. And the more we know, it can go either direction. Some of us take that knowledge and it comforts us. And some of us see all those alarming rates uh, and increasing number of deaths and cases and, and stress out about it, and rightly so. So I think my big advice to everybody listening, listening to us today is uh, hope is on the horizon. I do have faith and belief that this will surpass uh, like everything else that's happened in our lifetime. Uh, the, we are doing the best that we can as a community, as a nation, to get ahead of this. Everybody's trying to play their part, but this is not the time to be complacent. Please don't take this weekend as an opportunity to relax on social distancing, uh, physical distancing. On the contrary, take this time this weekend to spend time with your families and loved ones, hopefully virtually, uh, ideally virtually, uh, and get together and think about spring cleaning projects. Think about things you've always wanted to do and never got to do it. Uh, Try to see the positive out of this. And I know it sounds a bit cliche and we've heard this before, but it's really important. I've been seeing how stressed people are, Scott, and uh, I'm concerned for people's mental health status. I'm concerned for my loved ones who are uh, a bit anxious about what the future holds for all of us. And what about this information that we're going to hear later on? Uh, The premier uh, said yesterday that, uh, again, if he knows, he wants everyone else to know so they can understand why he's making the decisions that he's making. Uh, But do you you sense even a bit more anxiety today as we wait for this stuff? I think people are hungry for knowledge, period. So I think this whole discussion around data and modeling is fair. I think people want to know what they can base their decisions on. Listen, my work is all around evidence-informed decision-making. And simply put, all that is, is I've spent years looking into how do we make decisions based on the best available information? And part of that is data. But as somebody who does this for a living, I'll tell you that that data that we all want and that modeling things that we're asking the government for is fair, but it's not as easy as everybody thinks it is. So once that data is released, that is a very uh, technical information that takes the best of epidemiologists to sit there and think through what are all those factors and variables. So I, I, so I was thinking about how to simplify this to everybody. If we think of it as a big tree, 
uh, and the tree is the modeling. It's the, that model. Every branch on that tree is a different factor that gets played into what the projections might look like. So if we put social isolation into that tree, it's one big branch. How well that's working will determine how big that tree grows or how small it grows. Hmm. Same with contract tracing is another uh, branch on that tree. Great analogy. Um, I guess my point in all of this, and we touched on this yesterday, if we're having issues and we hear this from our leaders day in and day out that, you know, there was the reports of last weekend, people who weren't self-isolating and, and, and such. And well, you know, obviously the, the vast majority of us have already been doing this for for weeks. But if there are issues with people still not heeding the call, is that information even more valuable, even if it has to scare them into abiding by these rules? Precisely, and I think that's why uh, a lot of people are asking for the release of those modeling. Uh, I think what's going to be important is we take that one step further. It's not just important that this information becomes available, but we have to find a way to simplify that. And by that I mean it, it's very difficult to look at modeling numbers. It's much easier if, we're, if the goal here is to uh, emphasize how important it is to put physical distancing in place and continue to do it, then let's maybe take this modeling and, and simplify it with a sidebar. So why not let the public be able to play with that sidebar? By, by that, I mean, if we move it up and down, looking at how well physical distancing is working, it will show the public that, listen, if we're not getting ahead of this and if we don't continue doing this, this is what the death rates might look like. I think the big concern with a lot of people around this modeling things is that, and, and to be fair on the government side, I think that one of the reasons maybe that they're uh, hesitant to release that is that people, we don't want to see people lose confidence in the information that's coming out of the government and of, of our top researchers in this. And by that, I mean is that you will hear a lot of conversations and narratives around, oh, we've heard this, this model came out, but it didn't come true. Well, models are not perfect. They, like a tree analogy that I gave earlier, branches can grow depending on how much water you give them or sunshine. So you can't determine that. You can just predict what might happen. It's a simulation at the end of the day. And I and again, I think, doctor, that's all part of the process. When you are explaining this, you say, hey, this is on the most extreme end of uh, of this scale. This is not so much. You know, again, I think as long as you qualify that and you mm-hmm. provide people the information and the perspective in which they're supposed to view this, I think it will be valuable. Um, uh, you know, again, uh, making reasons or we don't have enough or excuses for for or, uh, uh, for not releasing the information. I mean, all you have to do is simply qualify where it's coming from and how we're to take this. I think that information would by, be digested uh, a lot more evenly than if people are, are confused and just going to various sources and, and finding out information that may not be accurate. Precisely. I 100% agree with you. And this is exactly why more than ever, we need people who are called knowledge brokers or people who can sit there and take this modeling and simplify it and make it in a way that we all can understand it. Uh, because it's one thing to just release the modeling, the modeling numbers and the data. It's a whole different story to have people who can who can make this easy for us to understand, because the reality is epidemiological data is sometimes complex and hard to digest. And we need somebody to quantify that and qualify it for us. Tell us what's the worst case scenario, what's the best case scenario. 
Uh, your thoughts on the information we're hearing now in regard to 3M, where uh, I guess this is a company that's obviously global, but it's based in, in Minnesota. Uh, the president of the United States signing an order saying, hey, everything's got to stay here. And, of course, 3M uh, responsible for sending supplies all over the world. Uh, and they, uh, I guess, putting the clamps on 3M to keep the stuff in the United States. Does that hinder our supply chain in any way? I think uh, it's a very unfortunate. My opinion on this is somebody who has worked for Doctors Without Borders, which is an emergency organization to try to deliver aid around the world. I think this is a really a significant humanitarian implication. And by that, I mean is that when we see uh, limiting access to things that are needed for different countries, uh, it, gets, it, it questions our international collaboration and our efforts to get ahead of this pandemic. Uh, many of the top experts in the world, including uh, people that are renowned in this area and have studied this their whole life, have said one of the best ways for us to actually address the COVID-19 is international cooperation. It's at the core of all of this. Politics and pandemics are two very important things. We can't get at this alone. We need international cooperation. We need countries to step up, the countries that are stronger that have more facilities, that have the ability to support weaker countries to really get ahead of this. We're blessed in Canada that we're not one of those weaker countries, but for sure we're going to see an implication on that. Uh, many were upset when it was reported earlier on that 16 tons of medical supplies were sent to China back in uh, February. I guess this is the same issue, is it not? Absolutely. I think that this is the thing about national isolation, isolation and global solidarity. Uh, we will much of the work now will be looked at. Uh, what could countries have done to each other first and foremost? I, you know, the thing is, Scott, uh, it's very human nature that when something becomes a threat to you, uh, you always think of you to protecting yourself first. Uh, and so, when we see this narrative around like we should have uh, kept the supplies for ourselves, we should protect ourselves first. Sure. But if anything, COVID-19 taught us so far that it is it transcends borders. It's much bigger than own country's jurisdiction, that it is really this collective collaborative effort across the world. There's only one way to get ahead of COVID-19, and that is for the whole world to really get together and figure out how do we move forward on this. Uh, your thoughts on the numbers that we're seeing now? Obviously, uh, Canada's continue to Canada's numbers continue to rise. Uh, Eleven thousand two hundred and sixty-six Canadian cases at this point, um, and in Ontario, four hundred and sixty-two new cases. Uh, we're sitting at thirty-two fifty-five now. Sixty-seven have uh, passed in in Ontario. Your thoughts on where we are? I think it's still alarming. The numbers are increasing, but that's also can be for many reasons. I think one of the major reasons is that we're getting the test results back. We're testing more people. We need to continue on physical distancing. This is what the numbers tell me today, that uh, physical distancing is really important to reduce the transmission and slow the spread of the disease. Uh, and second of all, we really need to be getting ahead of this contact tracing, which we are, and that by that I mean catching people before they infect others. So the more people we test, uh, the better we are at uh, making sure that those people don't want to infect others. Uh, we've heard that testing in Ontario is far below that of other provinces. How come we're seeing that? It could be. I don't know an exact reason for that. It's very hard to say that now. We, I think part of that could be, if I were to speculate, is that we're still not getting the tests out in time and we're not able to track down who really needs the most. Uh, I think the assessment centers are doing an incredible job of trying to address the needs for it. It's just going to take time to really get that data back. Thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Happy to speak.
Dr. Ahmad Khalid has been with us, uh, social sciences and humanities medical doctor and health policy advisor at Wilfrid Laurier University. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Ian Lee, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. He is with us now. Ian, thank you so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. Yep, I'm uh, locked up in isolation like everyone else. <laughs> I, I hear you, I hear you. So your thoughts, uh, Ontario Medical Staff has just given us the good, bad, and the ugly in around all these different scenarios that could, I say could happen, with uh, COVID-19. Is this valuable information to have for, for everybody? I think so. Um, uh, I mean, I work with numbers all the time, and I do want to... I'm talking StatsCan numbers and Transport Canada numbers and U.S. Census Bureau and World Health Organization. I'm, I just deal with numbers all day long because uh, that's the nature of what I do and the way I teach my courses uh, because they, uh, I insist that the students are evidence-based. Um, but I do want to just make a, put out a point of caution that any numbers about the future are, 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 um, are speculations. Now, yeah, they they're projections. Very, they can be very sophisticated. I'm not trying to sneer or suggest the doctors aren't good at this. That's not my point. Um, what I'm saying is these are forecasts about the future. And the reason that the future is so difficult, um, it's, it, let me back up for a moment. The future is not difficult when you're dealing with inanimate objects. They obey the laws of physics. You know, we know that light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And it doesn't vary depending on whether it's raining or whether I'm in a bad mood or, or I do something crazy. Okay, so the laws of physics are very well behaved is the way I like to put it. They, you know, the law of gravity, it can be measured very, very precisely. And, and, and all of the various laws of nature and the chemical elements of the chemical table and blah, blah, blah. Okay, but when we're talking about people, people are not well behaved. We change, and not only that, and I don't mean by that that we're bad or immoral, I mean by that that we change our behavior all the time. And we are, for that reason, we're unpredictable. Human beings are the most adaptable species on the planet. That's why a lot of evolutionary biologists say that we run the world because we have been far more adaptable than any other species. And so a forecast is always based on the current fact situation. But we know that people change their behavior very quickly on a dime. You know, they see prices go up, they react in a certain way. Right now, I'm watching, I'm driving around the streets, not very often, by the way, but when I do have to go out, the odd time groceries, you know, that sort of thing. I'm just a marvel, and this has been going on for two weeks. I marvel at the fact that the roads are empty. And when I say empty, I mean empty. Yeah. I mean, people to say people that I was listening to the my only criticism of the doctors, they, if you if you took them and you weren't you just flown in from planet Pluto, and you were listening to them, you would have thought that just about everybody in Ontario and Canada were out going around as if nothing had happened, because they said, well, we've got to change, we've got to change. Mm-hmm. Millions of us have changed already, already. My street is always empty when it's in the summertime. In the spring, it's filled with people. You get down Bank Street in Ottawa, a very famous street where there's tons of restaurants. There's just no people in broad daylight. We're not talking at 3 o'clock in the morning in the middle of the darkness of the night. So my point is we have already changed our behavior. And not only in the sense of do we win in our house, uh, out of our house or in our house, we've changed our behavior in a myriad of ways about coughing into our sweater and, you know, our arm and, and, and wearing, you were seeing more and more people wear masks. And so my point that I'm trying to get at here 
is when you compound this changing behavior over millions and millions of people, I think it's going to break the curve because so many people are doing it. I keep saying to myself, when they're predicting these large, large numbers, I ask a very, very simple question. Well, if almost all of us are staying inside our house, like I am, and we're not going out and meeting anybody else, and no one's coming into my house, how can I get infected? Mm-hmm. And, and so these forecasts, I think, because remember, they, they, they have to make all kinds of assumptions about what we're doing, how we're behaving, what we're doing, and so forth. And so in a situation like this, where everybody's terrified, we change our behavior very quickly. We're very, very adaptable as human beings. And so I think that these numbers, we will, in retrospect, three months, six months from now, look back on those numbers and say, wow, were they ever high. And it wasn't because of malfeasance on their part. It wasn't because of, it was the, the, the forecasters, and I've seen this over and over with economic forecasting, with forecasting of the take-up of a new product, is that we human beings are not very good at understanding how quickly other human beings change their behavior. Hmm. And, you know, and, and so for that reason, uh, if this sounds like I'm more optimistic about the future, I am. I, I'm the, I don't believe that gazillions and millions of us are going to die. I don't. I didn't believe it at the beginning. Having said that, I'm not trivializing this disease. It is horrible uh, for those who get it. And, and we know, and by the way, they only mentioned it once at the very beginning of the conference, and they never talked about it again. I watched the whole conference, by the way. Um, he said, this is very, very hard on elderly people. Well, I've yeah. seen the stats coming out of England. I've seen the stats coming out of the States from the leading epidemiologists. And there's no question. It is brutal on older people and people with compromised immune systems. So, you know, most people listening to your broadcast, if you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s or your 50s and you're fit and you don't have any underlying uh, medical conditions, you don't have diabetes, you not don't have respiratory problems, you haven't been diagnosed tragically with cancer, I don't think you have anything to worry about. The people who have to worry are these nursing homes. They yeah. are, I think. And the frontline workers. Ian, this i got to cut you off there workers. because we have to make room for the Premier's press yep. conference. Ian Lee has been with us, Brought School of Business, Carleton University. Ian, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Dr. Sarah Kahn, Associate Medical Director of Infectious Prevention and Control, Hamilton Health Sciences, and is with us now. Uh, doctor, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Your thoughts on what we've been hearing today with these two press conferences, I guess three, including the Prime Minister, uh, but more specifically in around the models and such and, and where we find ourselves this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I've been in a lot of meetings this morning, so I haven't kept entirely up to date on the recent news from the press conferences. I think we're, we've all been looking at modeling data, both locally in our region, working with our partners. Um, models have their limitations, but they are helpful in informing our, our practices in terms of what supplies we're able to procure. Um, and I think these are sort of important numbers people need to understand in order to know how they can help to prevent the spread and help us reduce the the big burden that will hit our healthcare system um, that is already starting. So I think modeling it is helpful, and um, we're all using it uh, as best as we can to inform our next steps. Uh, how concerned are you? Uh, some may say that these just provide more anxiety for people because they are just projections. Uh, they have qualified all of this information uh, ahead of time. But what about those that have delayed in doing this simply because they fear it, they fear it may cause panic? 
I think that's a tough balance to achieve at any point in time, knowing what information is useful and important for people to know, um, not just to sort of spark anxiety, but for people to understand why this is such an issue. We, we know the measures that have been, in, been put in place have significant impact on, on society as a whole. And so I think to some extent, people need to know the realities and the information that we're facing so they understand why we're taking the practices that we are. So I think it's a tough balance between providing information so people can understand sort of the extreme limitations that have been put in place, uh, but also not to invoke fear and also for people to understand we're using data to help us in our decisions around policy. So it's not meant to invoke fear. It's as realistic numbers as we can project, though there are limitations to models, and I think we all acknowledge that. But I think some data has to hit the public so they understand the issue. Uh, we've certainly heard all of our leaders uh, be very disappointed with the very small amount that are still going out and not self-distancing uh, in any way. Do you think this this new information, this blast of reality, even though they are projections, this blast of reality will, will uh, make those heed the advice of medical officials and government? You know, I think, you know, information is power. I hope those that are sort of listening um, and are, are keeping track of this data will help to use it in order to inform their decisions. And I think this is a decision we all have to make every day with the choices that we do. And I hope people use this kind of information to make the right decisions. Uh, again, there will be people that ignore that. And I think we have to exist in a reality that accepts that. To some I know extent. you're very busy. At, I know you're very busy at this time, doctor. One more question. Advice for Hamilton, uh, Hamiltonians as we head into another weekend of this. I think we, we all need to continue with the social distancing practices that have been advised by, our, by all of our leadership. Um, and I think we all need to be cognizant of sort of only going out, um, protecting our most vulnerable, um, and, and also to sort of do that hand washing, not touching your faces. And um, if, as is possible, if people can, you know, donate the PPE they have. So our front line is protected. That's a big message we're trying to get out. Um, if you have more questions or ability to donate, we have an email address I'm happy to share, uh, PPE donations at hhsc.ca but but you know as you know our supplies are challenged we're trying our best in using ppe strategies using the conservation approaches based on provincial guidance and directives by the ontario chief medical officer of health but that's a key message we're really trying to get out um, around around our supplies uh, and I'd like to take this time and, and, you know, I'm sure you don't see everybody, but just please pass along our uh, greatest uh, thanks and appreciation to everybody at Health at Hamilton Health Sciences who is working so diligently to keep us all safe. We all do greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much, Doctor. Thank you. Um, I'll pass the message along. Thanks. Dr. Sarah Khan has been with us, Associate Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control, Hamilton Health Sciences. And again, uh, uh, the doctor's uh, uh, request, if, if again, there are short supplies here, so uh, only those who really need them are to use them. And if anyone can help with any of that, uh, please get a hold of Hamilton Health Sciences. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.